The reason why of Wonderwood is again creating a safe and beautiful place where people go home better than in the way they arrived. Mm. And so that's about being more connected with the people they love, uh, feeling more uh, more brave, um, really relaxed, and um, and just also more connected to the deepest selves. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? Good. Got that Doppler effect in full swing today. Exactly. <laughs> For yeah. those watching on video, they saw you moving back and forth there. <laughs> Maybe a little 3D action. Yeah, there you go. Put your, put your glasses on, you know. Right. I uh, got a question for you. Bring it. Have you ever wanted to open your own park? Yes, I have. Um, obviously, I never have done it, but yes. I, what's that? Yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I've had that desire to um, imagine and open, you know, my own entity, whatever that might look like. Have you? Oh, absolutely. I <laughs> I have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks filled. I don't think I've contributed much to them in the last 14, 15 years, but I when I was when I was in school and like living in Orlando and like studying theme parks and like working in theme parks, I I mapped out it was it it kept growing because it was just based on my imagination. So it would probably in today's dollars, it'd probably be a few billion dollars to, you know, to, to build, but it was this massive destination resort on an island and had had a lot of amazing immersive experiences and attractions in it. That's cool. That's cool. Do you remember, like, can you, can you describe maybe one of those immersive attractions? I don't know. I haven't really, uh, <laughs> talked to many people about this, but, um, uh, okay. I'll, I'll give you one example. Okay. I, you know me and those who know me know that I'm I'm a I'm a big parrot head so a big big fan of Jimmy Buffett and yeah. uh, and so one of one of the lands actually this is you know long before Margaritaville became this this multifaceted entity that now actually includes theme parks I think in in uh, Biloxi Mississippi there's a, there's a Margaritaville park I think it's mostly a water park uh but I had I had a ride based on a song called uh Jolly Mon Sing which is is this narrative story and it's 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 beautiful and it's soft and it's you know it's it's very slow moving but the the song itself tells this story so it was it was a dark ride that goes through the scenes of the song and you know okay. there's elements of it where the song kind of picks up and feels a little faster paced so at some point you you feel like you're moving faster you're going slower and there's a dolphin chasing you and i uh, you know it, yeah so that was yeah that was one of the attractions that uh, that i that i envisioned yeah <laughs> Do the guests have to wear a, a parrot on their head? They don't have to, but it's certainly <laughs> would that enhance the experience? Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, go ahead. Well, the reason why I ask this <laughs> is because of today's guest, Massimiliano Freddi. He is the founder and owner of Wonderwood Park in Italy, and. Uh, I feel like he's, you know, he's just like us. You know, he was, he was an enthusiast. He, he loved the industry. I, uh, you know, we we talk about, you know, what really got him into the industry and and uh, how he how he started working in the industry. And he said every enthusiast, uh, you know, dreams of opening their own park. And so we really get to get to unpack and peel back the onion, as we like to say, as far as what that process is really like to to look at this industry from the lens of entrepreneurship on, you know, on the side of the operator and, and developing a new park that uh, just opened a few years ago and to talk about the challenges along the way of the first season being very rainy and the second season being a pandemic and uh, and the the resistance 
that it really takes to take on this endeavor. Well, and he talked about resistance from his own perspective as well, right? You know, kind of overcoming the his own resistance and and the um, the resistance that comes from you know taking on such a, a large um, uh, endeavor. Uh, but I was also really intrigued to hear him talk about not only the challenges, but the the opportunities that he turned some things into, right? You know, in terms of um, getting his staff and, you know, creating the experience and then what it was like to actually open it up and, and to your point, like it was raining and and how do you pivot from that and, and create, you know, new experiences or, you know, just even new outlooks and how do you not how do you not succumb to the resistance of your own feelings to be able to um, overcome that and figure out a way forward and not just kind of throw in the towel? So um, Masi's very inspirational. So if you if you don't know him yet, you will get to know him very well through this interview. Um, and I would say that, you know, if if you are thinking about opening your own park, he'll give you some maybe some reasons to to, to caution yourself, but also he, he doesn't shy away from saying, you know, it can be a very inspirational process. Yeah. Yeah. He, he talks about the importance of the word inspiration, particularly uh, when compared to the word education, yep. uh, really tying into uh, the fact that not only is he the owner of Wonderwood, but he is also the second vice chair for IAPA. So if all things go well, then at the end of 2024, uh, he will take on the chair position of IAPA. Which is really cool to see so many people get, you know, from around the industry that get the opportunity to do that, to lead the organization. And I really loved what he had to say, and I won't give too much of it away, but, you know, in terms of his mark on the industry, really, you know, focusing on, you know, new people coming in and and building the bench strength that we have and, you know, finding those folks that have the passion that you and I have and that Mossy has and that so many people have for the industry. And how do we cultivate that, cultivate that passion so that they turn into the next generation of leaders? Mm-hmm. We've been using the word cultivate. <laughs> we have. So we have. Uh, yeah. So we we could talk all day and break down this interview that we had with Masi, but I think uh, I think we should get right to it. Let's do it. Hey, Masi, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Josh, and thank you, Matt. I'm doing very good. Excellent. Glad to hear. Uh, so to kick this off, Masi, can you tell us just a, a little bit about yourself? Give us a, a quick intro and uh, and tell us about your career. Okay. So when you say quick, do you mean two hours, four days? <laughs> like what is, what do you really think? Okay. So um, I've been a child that was deeply in love with the attractions industry. And I was born in a city, which is Genoa by the, by the sea in, in Italy. And I can tell you not a lot of people from Genoa really had ever thought about building a career uh, in the attractions industry. And I would say even even in Italy. So we are talking about the 90s in the moment in which I was going to school. And I was like, okay, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, hey, I want to become um, the marketing manager of Disneyland Paris. So that was the kind of thing. And all of my friends would look at me like, okay, so no astronaut, no doctor, no lawyer, like, what is wrong with you, you know? And so, and so this is what, what has happened in that, in that very, very moment. I was in love with the industry. So I, I studied uh, at the German school. So I'm pretty fluent in some, in some different languages. And when I finished school, I decided to study marketing and public relation at Hume University in Milan, where I teach right now. So it's also kind of a nice story. And my dream was about, um, yeah, work, working for our industry. So in 98, I co-founded parksmania.it, which is the most important portal in Italy when it comes to parks and attractions. And then I've interned at Disneyland Paris for the Italian office. And shortly after that, I became press and PR manager, the marketing manager that jumped into another park, which is Leolandia, very close to Milan. So another project where where I've also worked. But hey, was it supposed to be a short introduction in the end? <laughs> so, so, so let me let me jump into who I am right now, and then we can still connect some dots, you know, if we feel it's it's relevant. So in 2019, I've started my own park, which is called Wonderwood. It's on Lago Maggiore, which is a beautiful, stunning area in Italy, close to the border with Switzerland. And uh, and this is my main job, I would say, and my main responsibility. Uh, on top of that, I teach um, marketing and theme parks and attractions management at Hume University in Milan and with 
recently developed a specialization for a master's degree uh, in leisure destination. So it's all about education and inspiration when it comes to that. And then I would say that my third pillar is uh, I have been volunteering with IAPA now for around 10 years, and I've, I have chaired the EMEA uh, education subcommittee for IAPA. And now, and then I've, been, I've jumped on the on the board of directors, and now I'm second vice chair. So, if I don't do too many things wrong, in theory, in one year and a half or so, I should become chairman for one year. But we'll see. Well, we'll see. Well, I think you're on the right track, Masi. Um, I would love to dive into all of that that you just said. But it, what I really would love to do is go back. Um, you said you you from a young age you've had a deep love of the attractions industry. How did that develop? Where did that come from? Um, I re that's a great question. So I really think it comes out of a terrible childhood. So sometimes some of us have a beautiful childhood and they go to parks and attractions with their parents and they will remember forever these moments. In my case, I had a very, a very bad childhood. And so nobody would bring me to the parks ultimately, uh, if not my grandparents sometimes. And so it was more of um, a place to refugee myself, I think. So as a kid, this looked like the perfect place. And it was Gardaland at that time. Gardaland is number one park in Italy, one of the most important parks in Europe. And so I remember the sensation of entering Gardaland, which was a place where everything was just beautiful and people were so nice. And, and you know, and the entire thing, the entire atmosphere has made me fall in love with these places that were just perfect. And hey, what are we doing every day? We are really trying to create a perfect, seamless experience for all of our guests. You as designers, me as an operator, but it's, it's a kind of same thing. So, um, so I really think that the origin was that one. And then when I, when I grew up, some stuff have, have, have happened. So the same park garden that I admired so much as a guest, when I was 10 years old, they kind of selected me as the perfect fan. And it came, it came by accident. I, I, I called them one day to get an information. I was 10 years old and we are talking about 91. So all of us remember very well, no internet, no WhatsApp, no smartphones, even no fax, I think in 91, maybe. And so, and so I raised my phone and I asked for a brochure and stuff and they passed my, my call to a marketing manager of that time. And this lady, recognizing I was, I was a kid, she was like, hey, a kid is calling us to kind of ask for information. And so she gave me that extra, extra piece of care, I would say. So she wasn't just sending me a brochure. She was sending me plenty, you know, of, of, of gadgets and gigs and, and, and they would invite me to press events. And so that was even before fan communities existed in, existed in Italy. So I think this has shaped my faith in the industry. And this has definitely um, been the first moment in which I thought, hey, so there are grown-ups that are like good people that want to make good things for good kids. And I want to be one of these people. And so that's how it all started when I was 10 years old, I guess. Wow. That, that's incredible. Thank you so much for for sharing that, you know, for sharing that story. I, I would love to even, you know, tie that into maybe kind of the the origin of Wonderwood. And, and was this the, you know, everything that you just shared with us, was this the reason for saying not only getting into the industry, which, you know, which, uh, you know, you knew at a young age that you knew you wanted to do that, but then to uh, then to open your own your own park and your own venue to be able to to carry out what you saw was so important. You talk about your your faith in the industry, and I, I love uh, just hearing that. Um, that's uh, uh, just sounds you know so just sounds so amazing. So as far as you know, being able to now really give that back to I, I guess maybe what you craved as a child. Yeah, that's 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 interesting because if I had to find to find the roots. Uh, or, or, or the way, the path leading to Wonderwood. In fact, I need again to go to go quite back, and um, I think I've always dreamed to open my own park. But hey, again, every attraction enthusiast dreams too, in a way or another. Um, I didn't have the possibility from a family standpoint, so I didn't have the money to put in or anything. So it took a while, and definitely, I think I have convinced myself, maybe for thirty years or so, that this was never going to happen. So that this was a, a child dream, but then this wasn't the case. When I started to work for, for Disneyland Paris, which I mean, 
if you can ask somebody, what is the biggest dream? Hey, let's do that. I was 23 years old when I became um, press manager at Interim for the Italian market of Disneyland Paris. So I was pretty young. And just to give you an idea, in Italy, it's strongly unlikely you will get a manager position under your 30s. So it was something really, really unusual. Um, I spent four years with the Walt Disney Company. It was a mind-blowing experience. I still love all the people and the product was, was stunning. But I understood after four years that I was too far away from the product itself. So as a child who kind of dreamed about becoming maybe more an Imagineer, you know, that was so, so far away. So when I, um, when I met Zamperla and, um, and they have hired me, um, to become general manager assistant at Leolandia. At that moment, I was 27. I quit Disney after four years, big Disney, to go to very small Leolandia that has just restarted. It was an old park, a bit, you know, shabby uh, before, before Zamperla purchased, purchased it. And so in that moment, my, my point was I want to get closer to the product. And this has happened, and I've been general manager, then I, I became general manager after roughly one year, and I, uh, and I was there until 2014 as a general manager and then VP of strategic development. So with my team, with, with kind of make the park jump from 200,000 um, guests uh, up to almost 1 million. So big thing. Um, but the point again, when I quit Leolandia, I quit not because I, want, I was searching for another job, but because I thought that, that my mission there was accomplished. And then I consulted for a few years but I felt the nostalgia, the strong nostalgia for the place, the physical place and the best moment of them all. When you are at the turnstiles, at the exit on a Sunday afternoon, everybody is leaving and you can see their faces and you see how you know tired and happy they are. And so I think that this gave me again the thought about, hey, I could do something on my own. And that was the moment with my husband when we weren't actively searching, but on Lake Maggiore, which is in the town of my of where my great grandmother was born, so over one hundred years ago, um, and we have a small home here, and there was this opportunity of um, taking part to a tender to uh, operate a restaurant. The point is, I love to eat, I might love to cook, but to operate a restaurant, that's no fun. Okay, let's ask everybody. That's no fun at all. Okay. Uh, very labor intensive. Lots of things, things that, that happen all over the place. And so I, as a provocation to the mayor at that time, I said, hey, we could decide to apply to the, to the tender and operate the restaurant if you allow us to build a park. And I thought it was a nice joke. It wasn't a joke because in the end we won the tender. And so they all stared at me like, okay, so now you're going to open the park. And it was October, 2018. And the rule of the tender said we had to open the restaurant by March, 2019 after five months. So we said, Hey, now we need to design the park. We need to do everything we, we can. And so in the end, we've opened Wonderwood in the summer of, of 2019. And, and to wrap up this, this, this story, I really think that, um, the reason why of Wonderwood is again creating a safe and beautiful place where people go home better than in the way they arrived. Mm. And so that's about being more connected with the people they love, uh, feeling more, uh, more brave, um, really relaxed, and, um, and just also more connected to the deepest selves, which I, which is something that I, they truly, I truly am truly passionate of. And um, so, yeah, so I think that, that Wonderwood was born because of this. It's not a point about which attractions, how many rope courses, or is the food good? All the elements play together this role in provoking these beautiful and happy faces when people leave at the end of the day. No, Masi, I thought I loved the industry, but you're making me fall in love with it all over again. Um, just hearing you talk about uh, uh, Wonderwood. Um, can you describe a little bit about the experience at Wonderwood, like from the guest perspective? Definitely. So um, the idea there, again, is, I mean, you must be very familiar uh, with um, adventure parks. So the ones with rope courses or zip lines. Okay. And in, I would say the vast majority, um, you can have, I don't know, 
one rope course, 20 rope courses, whatever, but it's all about climbing. Mm -hmm. In our case, my point was there is in Italy and just very few in Europe, there are no parks where kids can play um, as if they were young rangers. Now, I need your help on, on translating a thing. <laughs> so when I was a kid, from the imagination of Karl Barks, there was not only uh, Uncle Scrooge, but there are, of course, Huey, Dewey and Louie, that sometimes they go on this kind of scouts camp. I don't know how, how it's, it's called uh, in, in, the, in the US. And they, and they have, you know, these hats with the fur around the hats. And I don't know what's the name, but in, in Italy, it's Giovanni Marmotte, it's called. So it's like, it's like the scouts club. And my point was, if Huey, Dewey and Louie could design a park, how would they design that? So this was a starting point. It's not about doing the tallest, fastest, biggest thing. It's about saying how many adventures can you try for the first time if you are a kid? First adventure, you have a park that is in an enclosed space, but big enough for you to feel adventurous and for your parents to relax drinking an aperitivo while you are playing and running around without you getting lost or, or any risk for you to, to go back to the road. At the same time, um, you have mini Land Rovers to, to drive. You have uh, a work site in which you as a kid can dig uh, stuff. Um, you have um, the area where, um, where you can, um, oh, I don't know the, the English words, when you, when you, when you, when you can find um, the minerals in the water and you, and you can that kind of pen for gold and for, and for minerals. Um, you have a very huge playground. You can start your own journey um, hiking on the mountain uh, with the Gruffalo. So the idea was how many adventures can kids try for a first time in their lives? And I would say our park is a park of the first times. So a park where every kid and mostly kids who live, for instance, in Milan. Milan is less than two hours away from us. Now, think about it. If you've been growing up in Milan, I think it's about like Manhattan. So it's strongly unlikely you've ever seen a cow, you know, or, or, or you've ever climbed on a tree. So the point is, how can we make these things accessible in a way that kids can play, learn, get dirty, sweat, uh, have fun, and go home with a bit more of, braveness because they managed to do that it's not us putting them on a on a roller coaster with with, with no restraints and everything and then the coaster is moving you here everything you do you need to do it yourself so that was that is kind of the experience we are trying to uh, to work on uh in wonderbot i love it Masi, you talked about, you know, you said, you know, every enthusiast dreams of of building their own park, opening their own park. And from someone who has said, it's not just a dream, it, you know, it can truly be a reality. Can we talk about maybe just the, what the development process was like and, and those challenges along the way? You even talked about kind of, you know, getting, getting the approval from the city and opening the restaurant, but then it sounded like a lot of things happened to happen really fast. So can you talk maybe about sort of what the, what, you know, what it was like, it, I, I would say just building it those challenges that maybe a lot of people really take for granted when they go visit a park that is done and clean and beautiful and in their eyes perfect. Yeah, so um, it, it's it's a very nice question. And I would really love to say that if you are dreaming about opening your own park, don't do it. No, that, that's a joke. Everybody, everybody says, I was telling this story in 2019 when, when we first opened, and it was true. The first year was terrible. It was, it was awful. And it was awful because whatever you do, you will be overwhelmed with the complexity of something you've never tried. You've never tried it even if you were general manager of a big corporation. Because when you start your own venue, you're not structured enough. You're not savvy enough. You think you know it all. It's not true. So the first thing that I would love to to tackle in this conversation is resistance. And uh, Seth Godin calls it the lizard brain. And so I have coached for, for, for Seth Godin for, for several years, and he's a great guy. And, and he kind of was my inspiration all the time. I don't know if you're familiar with, with his books, The Purple Cow, and, and you know, and this is marketing and everything like this. So, um, so when Seth talks about resistance, he really nails it when it comes to the fact that 
First of all, you need to choose yourself. You need to pick yourself. And there is one day in which you need to decide that tomorrow will be different. And it will be different because you will sign something. You will sign a paper, you will apply to a tender, you will say yes. And in the moment in which you say yes, then you can say no again. Once you see, you can't unsee. So, um, so the first challenge for me and for my husband was to say, do we really want to risk no longer having our consultancies and our things that were they're not, not as granted, but you are used to, to the mechanism. So are we really up for that? So the first, first challenge uh, to offset, to overcome was definitely resistance. And resistance pops in every time, of course, we are afraid. Sometimes we are prepared for a bigger leap to happen. Um, but even right now, that the situation is, is a good situation and it's more stable and things are going well. There are days in which I feel this resistance and I feel like I'm trying to preserve the status quo in which I am rather than taking new risks. But nobody pays us and will pay us to preserve the status quo. And the sooner we get this, the better it is. So after saying, let's go against resistance, the first thing was, where do we get the money? And we didn't have the money to do that thing. But again, um, I think that, I mean, the Silicon Valley is proving it every day. But let's say that even in our, in our smallest places and companies, if the idea is good, which means not only you believe in the idea, but you are doing the homework, um, then you find people that will give you the money. It might be the banks, it might be private investors. Now the point is you need a good idea, but then you also need to have a very strong plan about the execution. So in our case, of course, I brought with, with me 15 years of, of, of experience, um, which was of course useful, which, which was useful. Um, but I think that in, in that moment, we were just, uh, how can I say, so, so brave that we were very superficial. And so we got the money. And when you, when you ask for the, for, the, for the permits and we got them and everything seemed pretty smooth until we've opened and then something mm -hmm. happens. For three months in a row, we had almost every weekend rain. So we have planned for the best, which is we execute the work site, we open it up, we find the staff members. And in four years, you have been hearing this all over the place. It's much harder to find staff members. It's much complicated. We are in the middle of nowhere, 1,000 meters above a lake, where the nearest highway arrives one hour and 10 minutes away from us. Okay, so no trains, no buses. So if you want to come to work here, you must be really motivated, even as a, as a guest. So I think that we underestimated the possibility that things could go wrong from an operational standpoint, for instance, rain. If we had considered this, we would never have opened. So thank God we have not considered this. And then we had, of course, to find solutions and very creative solutions financially, of course, and with suppliers and renegotiating things and, and so on. Now, if you think that we've opened the park at the end of July, 2019, so imagine August, September, then the season was over. What has happened afterwards? The C word, so COVID. So all of a sudden, you know, the thing was so much bigger than us. Um, but let's say that then in the end, in the long term, we've solved the money thing. And we started, of course, to, to make money and keep the ball rolling. And then we wanted to invest more. So money is never enough. But so I understood one thing. I've learned this. Money is never a problem. It's, this is not the problem. The problem is, are you proposing to the guests a thing they will like? And the thing they will remember and the thing they will want to repeat and pay for? That's a whole different thing. Money is a consequence. So I, I go to my last point in that, which is relevancy. And relevancy has two aspects. The first aspect is, of course, the product and the experience. And sometimes we as creatives, we love our ideas. We fall in love with our ideas so badly, don't we? And even big groups, sometimes they make huge mistakes just because we think so much about our creative aspect and we don't think and we are not empathetic enough to what people really are able to um, to fall in love with. I would use this as word, to fall in love with. And then the other thing is that people have not been waiting their entire lives for you to open your venue. They already have busy lives. 
they already have their habits and they already allocate their money in some buckets. And so the point, I think, um, if I could go back, so one key learning about my first year of opening, I should have invested three times as much in marketing. But I had spent so much on the structure that I cut on marketing. And this is the mistake that everybody has been doing while opening new venues. You run out of money or you spend more money on the development than expected, and you need to cut on costs from day one. Where do you cut first? You cut on marketing. And the point, though, is that the faster you are in bringing people on, on board, so in, in fact, in, inside the gates, so the, the fastest you are in this and the better it will be for your business from day one. Mm. And so we strongly underestimate that in the end, we could make the most beautiful place very attractive and, and so on, but we need to get people in as fast as we can at the beginning because they will spread the word. And then, of course, we can we can benefit from word of mouth. But I think this, this was a key learning to me, key learning to me. Yeah. Well, Masi, can we um, kind of tap into something you talked about earlier, which was your desire to get closer to the product? And certainly opening a park, you're very close to the product. Um, was the initial reaction from the guests what you had hoped it would be, um, thinking about their experience and what you had envisioned for that experience? Wow, that's a beautiful question. Um, so we arrived, we landed in an area where there are no competitors uh, and not a lot of attractions. So the first thing is that many people started to say, hey, finally there's something to do. And, and that was quite good. Then we understood that we have some stunning things, like you know, you have this this climbing park with a with a view that's overlooking the the, the lake on one thousand meters. So it's very beautiful. But at that time, we only had four rope courses, so not a lot of stuff to do. So I think that if on the one hand they were really emotional about about having something, I think that in the end the experience was short. So what we decided, and this is the moment in which it got reinforced our idea of saying, hey, we need to have several adventures, smaller adventures, but then the point is not coming to our place for the rope courses. You will come to our place because you want an adventurous day. And so I think that in that moment, there was no real disappointment from the people, but it was more, you know, this kind of feeling, um, you know, when you are going to a beautiful restaurant, the food is good, but you have the feeling you haven't had enough food. Okay, you still go home a bit hungry, and some people appreciate that. But most of the people, they will love to go home by saying, "Hey, I've had too much food." You know, it's like feeling this this kind of being being full. But this has also stretched our muscles in saying, "Are we a park behind our gates, or are we just gates to the entire mountain?" So what if our park was a starting point, the welcome center for the exploration of a much bigger area? And what if we added this to our product? And so I think we've, re we've reframed that. And so right now, if I take a comparison with other friends who have adventure parks alike, um, the average dwell time is like around two, two, two hours and a half, more or less. Because if you do rope courses after a while, even if you have 200 rope courses, your muscles hurt. So, so you are not there to, to, to spend five hours climbing. Okay. Um, so in our case, our average is around five hours and a half. Wow. Which means that people understood what we do stand for. We stand for with a day with the people you love. And during this day, we promise to give you the best possible food. The food is amazing, outstanding. We prepare everything fresh. A solid value system. So about sustainability and about diversity and inclusion and everything, it's incorporated in our DNA from scratch. Third thing, it's a beautiful place you can't get enough of because it's just beautiful by itself. And you can relax and you can play and you can challenge yourself and you can walk and you can fall asleep. We even have sandbag chairs. Because we thought not everybody who goes to rope courses wants to climb. And not everybody wants to stay there just the entire time for, for, for climbing. So we have a pretty high per cap when it comes to food 
for instance, because people feel the place is just a beautiful place to spend time. So, so I think this was kind of our pivoting, you know, uh, strategy. It's not just about the attraction, but it's something else, so much more. I, I love hearing just all of that and just the mindset behind it and and everything that you are delivering beyond the you know the product that people you know think they're coming for the robes course the you know the mountains all of that but being kind of the the ecosystem around it the the time with their family and all of that uh you talked about the importance of word of mouth and the importance of of bringing people in as as quickly as possible so they can help spread the word um I'm curious, really, from you know, from the lens of marketing, as far as the importance of word of mouth, and if we can kind of follow that trail as to you know how that maybe alleviates your marketing efforts of you know does it does it reduce the cost of acquiring a new guest, and then really I would say kind of building that advocacy effect and and how that how that turns back into revenue and higher attendance for the business. Yeah, so um, let me mention a few examples that are not from my part. If I tell you Evermore, or if I tell you Sleep No More in New York City, there are places and situations where people get just blown away by the quality of the time they have spent there, by finding the unexpected, by exceeding their expectations. So first of all, I think that we should invest even more in our products and experiences and in our team members and in making the experience smooth, seamless, qualitatively high, because we have this huge opportunity and responsibility of changing a day. We own that day of someone's life. And while we own and operate that day, we're not operating a bank. We are operating their free day, their free time. And if we are able to continuously be critical with ourselves, and so we all want reassurance. So I love when we receive, you know, five stars reviews. I'm not growing for that. I'm, I'm just growing my ego, you know, and, and feeling less of an imposter and feeling that, yeah, we got that right. But the point is, what are the unsung voices, the voices we can't hear that are telling us, yes, but? What is behind that but? So um, I think that we, if we continue to stay uh, in, in a strong relationship with this part, I think there is a huge space to leap. So this leads to the word of mouth. I had, so while I was working for, for, for Leolandia, now I, I go back to kind of 10 years. There were, we were at the beginning of this new startup again. It was a, a park that had existed since the 70s. And it, it was a miniature park at the beginning. Very fun in the 70s and 80s. But then can you imagine how boring it was in the 90s and year 2000s to bring your kids just in a miniature park with nothing moving, nothing happening. You're just looking at small Italian monuments. You already know, by the way. So that's the thing. Um, so when Zamperla um, relaunched the, the, the park, um, their point was about adding rides. And, um, and as much as I loved Alberto and he loved me, we were in disagreement sometimes because for me, the experience was not just about the rides. The rides were, were a big part. But of course, there was the storytelling. And there was another thing that he truly cared for, which, which was people. So engaged team members. Now, I remember one Sunday in which we, it was, I don't know, May. So perfect spring, perfect weather, sun is shining and so on. And the park was empty. And you can't explain why. And we've all been through this sensation. When you are an operator, these days happen and you don't have an explanation. But on that day, I spent time in going through the reviews on TripAdvisor. That was very hip. You know, right now it's, it's more, we are more Google Maps. But at that time, TripAdvisor was the Bible. So I would go there and I would see we had four out of five as a rating. And so I started to say, oh yeah, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, given that 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 the park used, used to have, I don't know, three or two and a half before. So we took a leap. And then I started to take a look at the other parks that I admired. And they all had 4.5 out of five. 
So that 0.5, it changed everything. And now we talk a lot about net promoting score, but that's the thing. So if you have an experience that's under 4.5, which is nine out of 10. So if you're not giving a nine or a 10, your experience might still be good. But once you finish it, the first thing you will do will not be to reach out to your friends and say, hey, you must do that. You will, uh, you will answer if asked. You will say, we spent a nice Sunday. Fair, yeah, beautiful, nice. Kids had fun. Full stop. So the point is, the only way in which we can make our audience grow and our business grow is to reach this 4.5 out of 5. And not because we are forcing people to give us good reviews, but because we are, we are kicking out of the park. So we are really doing something that's more than they had paid for, more than they had expected. And you know how often right now we go to restaurants and even to parks, we, we, we must admit, where we pay a lot and we don't feel they are giving us enough back. Okay, so of course, if we were there as kids, we still have our childhood that pays, um, that is kind of part of the, of the experience. But right now, there are big, big parks that are becoming so expensive and the experience is so full of queue lines and everything you need to, to pay additional fees and so on, that people start to go home, not upset, but they didn't fall in love. They are more like, okay, I'm not sure I want to spend my money again in this way next time. And so I'm not sure I will tell it to other people. So if you ask me if there was a way, if, if I have my genie lamp of Aladdin, I would really say I would love to have right here and right now more money to hire more people to work in the park and deliver like a five stars experience every day, all the time, because I think this is the, the thing that changes it all. You know, what's so interesting, Masi, is um, in one of my previous roles at, a, at an organization, um, I was talking to the vice president of operations and he said, I would love to do an experiment and have a an attraction where we could do exactly what you just said, right? You know, unlimited budget, have as many people as we could and just see what that's all about. And of course, I'm thinking in my mind, you're the vice president of operations. You could make that happen. Like it, 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 you're the one that could do that. But you know, I think it goes back to what you talked about a, a couple of minutes ago with in terms of resistance, right? He wasn't willing to kind of take that risk and go past that. So I love all those things that you're saying. And again, it's it's making me fall in love with the industry all over again, just uh, just hearing your passion and all the all the wonderful things you're saying. But I'd love to um, maybe maybe um, uh, change course just for a second and talk a little bit about your role within IAPA because you said in a, about a year and a half you're going to be taking over. Um, so as long as you don't do too many things wrong, I think you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I would. Or I, I get too scared and I and I run away. But no, it shouldn't happen. Sure. I don't. I don't anticipate that happening. But I would love to hear, like, as someone who is anticipating coming into that role, first of all, what's that anticipation like, and also. When you get there, what's your what's your vision? Like, what do you think would be um, something that you could put your stamp on and say, you know, Masi was here. This this is how I've I've had a positive impact. Wow. So, um, first of all, being in love with the industry. When I was a kid, let's say, or or or, or a young adult, I felt scared by Ayapa. You know, Ayapa was this big thing, this big whale. Uh, that, that incorporates a ton of things and that is ultimately for real professionals. So when is, when is the moment in which you consider yourself for the first time a real professional? And it has taken a bit of a time. And then like many people in the industry, I started to be a member for the company I was working for that I enrolled. But still, I was feeling a, a member of a company who is a member. And um, I think that at that time, it wasn't easy to understand also that IAPA really is, is based a lot on member engagement, which means that many members can volunteer from the moment in which they are students already and they can be ambassadors on the trade show floors to the moment in which they could be part of committees, subcommittees, lead task forces, whatever it is. So it's a real member-based um, organization. So um, 
it all happened a bit by accident. So I, I, I was invited to, to talk for a safety conference about a nice uh, mm -hmm. project for kids with, with disabilities we had done in Leolandia. And coming out of the stage, the education manager of the MEA region at that time, um, Cindy Stefanovic, she was like, but you should be part of the committee. And I was like, committee? What is a committee? What is it for? You know? So it started all this with all this. Um, I wasn't sure I would even apply to become a second vice chair. Um, so IAPA works that you apply to become the second vice chair. And then again, if you don't do terrible things, the year after you are first vice and then you are chairman and then you are past chair. And then you jump into the governance committee. So it's almost an eight years term, which is pretty long. You know, even the four years would be pretty long. Um, but I didn't apply. I had never applied because I felt like an imposter. Like, who am I to apply? What do I have to contribute with? Um, there are so many talented people in our industry and with such wisdom and experiences and leadership. So the point was, I really didn't feel talented enough and I even didn't know if I would ever be. Um, and then there were several people that were either part of the board or had been part of the board and they were like, you could be a good chairman. Okay, so I had, first of all, again, to, to win over my resistance and so to acknowledge that I could give myself a chance. I could pick me and then, you know, if it was a, a go, it would be fantastic. If not, whatever. But as much as it, as it happened with, with my part, I was not, I think, fully aware of what the role was about. So I had been part of the board for four years already at that time, so I knew quite a little of what are the discussions ongoing, but of course you don't know that, that the different um, things. So right now, as a, as a second vice chair, um, I really appreciate it and I share it with everybody because I think that every association should be like IAPA in, the, in, in, the, in this way. So they don't put you in the situation where you are chairing for one or two, for three years coming out of the blue. You go through, through this kind of path so the first year, all of a sudden becoming an officer meant I would attend meetings that I maybe was even not aware they existed. Um, and I could just listen and I could just take the risk of being myself and mm -hmm. ask questions if I had to. And, um, and again, just, 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 just listen. But I, what is really fun is that I'm still the second vice chair. So this one year, which is not yet come to an end, I still have uh, it's five months in front of me, so I'm half the way. It feels like five years already. So what is really fun? It's very intensive. You have calls, you have meetings, and, and so on. You don't have responsibilities, extra responsibilities right now, as you would have to be an ordinary board member, but you're already exposed so much to so many stimulus, to so much, and I think I'm, I'm really learning a lot. So when it comes to what will be my mandate, what is what is my goal? Um, I think I am obsessed by two themes. One theme is that I disagree with the word education, but I agree with the word inspiration. Because education, of course, it's a duty that everybody has in the room, and you need to be driven by your will to be educated and to educate yourself. But what can IAPA and what can professionals like us who have been in the industry for a while, what can we do for other professionals? And what and you do it with your podcast all the time. We can inspire people. And then maybe they will pick up one sentence from a one-hour interview, or sometimes this will resonate with them so much that with every word, they're just taking notes and it blows their mind because they needed that gentle nudge in that moment and we gave it to them. And I think that at IAPA, inspiration should be exactly like this. We should be in the places where members are, young members, old members, we all have to learn and we all are learning new things. If you are savvy about TikTok, let me know because I'm really ignorant when it comes to that and several other things. Uh, AI will be a big thing. So I think that IAPA is a place, of course, to connect and network, but I feel it as a place to inspire. And so, and you get inspired when you feel, in a way, when you feel safe when you feel home, when you feel that the language other people speak is the same. So one point to me was be, will, will, will really be how can we make education even more accessible, even more part of the daily life 
of IAPA and its members. And this connects immediately with my second goal, which is not second by importance, it's really at the same time, and it is the new generation of professionals. So right now, um, we will be facing a huge crisis of, uh, of we're like the church, you know, <laughs> they, they, they can't find priests. And by the way, for us, it's becoming so hard to find people working in, in kitchens as attractions, as lifeguards, as marketing managers, whatever it is, you know. So, so I think we need to start very early to be connected with schools and colleges so much more than, than we are doing right now and to make sure that kids and teenagers and young adults, they are aware that there is an industry that is as important as the hospitality, as whatever the chemical industry, as a transportation industry, whatever, we are an industry. And I think we need to make sure um, they know about us. And on the other hand, we need to make sure we have always our ears open and eyes wide open to welcome all the new talents, all the people that want to enter this industry and, and contribute to that. So I think I will be happy if by the end of uh, 2020, six which is when i when i when i when i step off i will be very happy if we will have managed to involve so many more young people and if we will have been able to inspire so many beautiful places and people and and lives uh to become their best selves when it comes to professional and human beings masi this has been i such a fascinating conversation, and I, I just looked at the time, and I feel like our our, our time we just blinked, and and uh, our time is coming close to an end here, which makes me sad. I feel like we could keep talking for for hours and hours and hours, and hopefully <laughs> one day we'll we'll get the chance to. Uh, in the meantime, though, if people want to learn more about Wonderwood, if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Yes. So first of all. Uh, of, of course, they, they can go on the website, wonderwood.it, or is Wonderwood and, and our word. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, which, which, is also, which is also a great way, um, or on, on, on Instagram and Facebook as well. But I would really love to give my email address, which is Massimiliano. Now, if you spell it correctly, I will answer for sure. So Massimiliano.freddy, with an I at the end. Uh, and that's my last name, not my first name, which is also fun. So massimiliano.freddy at gmail.com. I will be more than happy <laughs> to hear from you. And, and I, I really hope that this conversation was was at least entertaining. Well, I think it was beyond entertaining. And, and to me personally, it was inspirational. So I thank you for that. Um, I also think you'll probably uh, inspire a lot of people to uh, to reach out to you and, and learn more. And uh, like Josh said, I wish we could talk for days. Uh, Masi, this has been a wonderful conversation and uh, I'm so glad that we we're able to do it. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.